0: 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we uh, start a series, three-week series, on being wise stewards. A steward is somebody who's a manager, oversees things, and we're going to talk about the different things that we oversee, just a few of those. Today, we're going to talk about generosity, our finances. Next week, we're going to look at what the Bible says about climate change. You know, how do we manage God's resources in that area of our world around us and taking care of it, being good stewards. And then on June 11th, we're going to look at managing our spiritual gifts that God has given to us. I encourage you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll begin with verse 1. Paul said, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has... Been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Verse 4 Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to you and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And may God, at his blessing, at the reading of his word this morning, let's pray. Father, we pray you open our eyes and enlighten us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, you know the needs of each heart in this room. And those on the live stream, we pray that you will help as your word goes out, that it will meet the needs that it will challenge us it will convict us it will bless us it will encourage us it will comfort us it will have its intended purpose in each life and so lord we commit this message into your hands to allow you to use it how you desire we pray and ask in jesus name amen we're going to look at some statistics about generosity in our country a barna survey four years ago in november of 2019 who were the most generous givers As a nation, America tops the charts. Do you realize the three most charitable cities in our country are in one state, Idaho? Idaho of all places. On average, practicing Christians in those Idaho cities give $17,977. That beats out the giving from people in New York and Los Angeles and Chicago, which averages $3,308 per person. Age also makes a big difference in giving. 84% of millennials give less than $50 to charity per year, even though charitable giving ranks high on their priorities. Today, the average church attender gives 2.5% of his or her income annually. Now, compare that to the time of the Great Depression. That number was 3.3%. 37% of those who consider themselves evangelical Christians don't even give to their local church. Only 2.7% of evangelical Christians practice tithing, giving 10% of their income. So today we're gonna look at generosity, we're gonna look at 2 Corinthians chapter nine and to give you some background, I encourage you to go home and read 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Paul was planting churches, he was in Corinth, now he would moved on to some other places. But he found out that the mother church from where these churches were being planted, the Jerusalem church, there was a severe famine. And also, uh, they were very poor at that time. And they were in severe need of money. And so Paul had asked the church at Corinth to put together an offering to give to help these Jewish believers. You see, in their culture, they were uh, turned away because Once they became baptized and identified with Christ, their families turned their back on them, and many times in the culture, they would lose their jobs. And so word spread, not only that the Corinthian church was putting together an offering, but Paul wanted the churches in Macedonia to know that Corinth was doing it. And so Macedonia, if you read in 2 Corinthians 8, they were under severe persecution. They were very poor as well. But in that time, they wanted to give even out of their poverty. And so the word spread to the churches in Macedonia, which included Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and they joined in with the plan to send money to the church in Jerusalem. Although they were suffering severe persecution, and <clears throat> were impoverished as well due to that persecution. Nonetheless, the idea that the church in Corinth was going to give it inspired these poor brothers and sisters of Macedonia to take up an offering for their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. So first thing on your outline, and I encourage you to take out and fill in these blanks. This brings us up to speed at chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Your giving will encourage others to give. Your giving will encourage other people to give. Paul is continuing his thoughts from 2 Corinthians 8, 16 through 24, as he begins chapter 9. And you are to give what you promised. That's what he's telling these believers in the city of Corinth. We don't have these verses on the screen, but I hope you have your Bible open. But in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 1 through 3, notice that the word in verse 1 is superfluous. Paul is saying that what he is writing is more than needed, more than desired, and more than required. He's saying this is of utmost importance. The Corinth church made a promise and a commitment to give this important offering, but now these efforts to gather the offering stalled. And Paul is trying to remind them of their commitment. What factors interrupted the uh, believers in Corinth from gathering this collection for the believers in Jerusalem? Well, first of all, it was probably, we're not sure, but we can read in several places in the book that they were giving money to false teachers and they were supporting them. And then they got very irritated, the Corinthian believers did, when Paul said he didn't want any financial support in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. So maybe that money was being diverted to them. And Paul is saying here he is sending Timothy And possibly some people from Macedonia could have been Jason from the church in Thessalonica, Sopatar from the church in Berea. These churches were in the Macedonian region and were referred to in chapters 8 and 9 in Acts 17. He doesn't want the promise of the church of Corinth giving coming up empty because it would shame the church if the Macedonians give and the Corinthian believers did not. We notice here Paul is using the enthusiasm. He says zeal as he brags about the Corinthian church to the churches of Macedonia, about a gift that they're giving. Notice Paul never told the church of Corinth how much to give. And while Christians must not compete with each other in their service for Christ, they ought to consider one another to provoke, as it tells us in Hebrews 10, to provoke one another with love and good works. And when we see what God is doing and through the lives of others, we ought to strive to serve him better ourselves. There's a fine line between fleshly imitation and spiritual emulation. We remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 and how they ended up lying to the spirit. But a zealous Christian can be the means of stirring up a church and motivating people to pray, to work, to witness for Christ, and to give. We see Paul doing that in this instance here with the Corinthian and Macedonian churches. He's challenging both groups of people to do good works. You and I, we need to make decisions on how much we should give. And it's really between us and looking at the commands of scripture, such as like Malachi 3 and other places, looking at God's commands and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to determine how much we're to give. It starts by giving the 10% of your income, to the local church in which you're involved in. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul said, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Second point under this one is to give to bless those in need. Notice what they were doing in 2 Corinthians 9. They were giving to bless those in need. Look at verse four in your Bible. It says, otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. Verse five, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The intent here is to have the collection complete when Paul arrives in order to take it on to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. We see in verse 5, Paul is pointing out that completing the offering would show that they were a generous church and the gifts were given voluntarily. They didn't want to be seen as stingy and giving a last-minute gift that was coerced by Paul. The word gift here in verse 5 means bounty or bountiful gift. Paul may be even encouraging them to give beyond what they committed to do, to even do that. And notice In verse 1 of the chapter, Paul uses the phrase, ministering to the saints out of their giving. Paul's desire was that their gift would be given out of grace. And here's a very interesting thing that I just came across this week, is this idea of grace giving. And what is grace giving? Well, if you want to look at the screen or turn back in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 8, look at verses 6 through 9. This idea of grace giving, it comes from these verses. Verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 8. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Isn't that amazing? Think about what Christ did for us. He gave up everything, leaving the very throne room of God and all the wealth and riches and glory and honor to humble himself so that we could be rich. Well, the idea of grace giving is simply as this: if Christ, being poor, humbled himself, came down to earth, wrapped himself in flesh, taught about the kingdom of God, did miracles, died on the cross, rose again to give us salvation and eternal life, God can encourage us to use that grace of giving to give to others as well. How could we not give to others? As we think about this aspect of giving, there's lots of ways to do it through your time and through your talent, but we're speaking specifically about your finances today. And so there's kind of four different ways to give. Tithes, giving to the local church, beginning with 10% of your income. Offerings, this is above and beyond the tithe, going to the local church or to ministry or charitable organizations that you desire to bless. There's sacrificial giving when there's special needs. And there's faith promise giving as well. And notice the last couple of words at the end of verse five. We see the gift should not be an exaction. What does that mean? That means not to be exploited or forced or made to feel like a victim by putting pressure on someone to give. This is the wrong thing to do to get people to give. God wants us to learn to be grace givers, to give and show grace upon others as God continues to pour out his grace upon us. So here's our first application. How do we apply this to our lives as we go out today? This points, giving to God for his kingdom work is done out of a heart of generosity because of all that God is doing on our behalf. In other words, we're so filled with gratitude and thankfulness for what God is doing and blessing in our life, we can't help but not give to other people as well. So your giving will encourage other Christ followers to give, second of all, second main point, your giving will bring blessings on you. They will bring blessings on you. In the grace of God, Christians are rewarded in three ways for their generosity. The givers are enriched, verses six through 10 we see here. The receiver's needs are met, verses 11 and 12. In 2 Corinthians 9, and thirdly, God, the source of all blessing, is praised. Verses 13 through 15. And Paul uses agrarian principles to explain this matter of grace giving and the benefits of it to the Christ follower. We see the principle of increase. First of all, we reap the amount we sow. We're going to look at three principles we get from this section of Scripture. The principle of increase. We reap the amount we sow. Look at verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Like Warren Wiersbe, former pastor from yesteryear, said this, giving is not something we do, but something we are. Giving is a way of life for the Christian who understands the grace of God. The farmer who sows much seed will have a better chance for a bigger harvest. The investor who puts large sums of money into good investments will certainly collect more dividends. The more we invest in the work of the Lord, the more fruit will abound to yours and my account. Luke 6.38, it says, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Prosperity gospel preachers erroneously use this verse to support their doctrine. We do not, as Christ followers, give to get. That is a side benefit. God will bless us if we give to the church and the needs of others. Notice there's the word measure. God will reward the believer, but not always materially or with money. He can reward you with favor in other areas of your life, through promotions at work, through spiritual peace, The ideas are endless and as personal as the person who is giving it. I remember back in March of 1987 that my wife and I hadn't been married very long. We lived in Conyers, Georgia, and we packed up the few belongings we had, and we moved to Mountie from New Jersey, just a few miles from where she lived, just over the river from Philadelphia. And we were going to be the first full-time youth pastor at this conservative Baptist church, Mount Ephraim Baptist Church. They were going to pay us $10,500 and our health insurance. And they would bought this building next door to the church that was run down. And they were going to fix it up. And that was going to be our apartment. And it was a real test of faith for us. Could we live off of that money? Could we do it? And the blessing was there were people in that church, one comes to mind named Roscoe Bradford. And I'll never forget, some mornings you'd open the front door and there'd be fresh produce and groceries there. One winter he gave me a winter coat. The church would constantly be dropping off things to meet our needs. As we gave, they gave to us. There's a great book I encourage you to read. It's called The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris of Gateway Church. That book has transformed my life. It's a great book to read. He's charismatic. You'll see that in the book, but the principles are very biblical, and I encourage you to read that book. That man has given away so many things, and God keeps blessing him with more to give away. So if we forget this principle of grace-giving, we can be reminded of it by memorizing Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a great verse, great promise to hold on to. In both nature and grace, God is a generous giver. And if we want to be godly, we must follow this divine example. We see another principle in this passage, the principle of intent intent, we reap as we sow with right motives. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Grace means here that God blesses the giver as well as the gift, and that the giver is a blessing to others. The key here is to give with the right motives. That's why Many times, giving anonymously is best. You're not trying to seek applause or notoriety with your gift. By giving anonymously, you're showing you don't care who knows, and you're giving it just to God because he's the only one that really knows or, of course, a few people in that organization you give to. But it's not the amount that's important, but the heart attitude. In 2 Corinthians 8, back a chapter, verses 3 through 5, talking about this poor impoverished persecuted Macedonian church this was their testimony for they gave according to their means as I can testify Paul said and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints in Jerusalem and this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us to be servants, and instruments for his use. The motive for the farmer planting crops is not really a concern for him. If he sows good seed, if he has good weather, he'll reap a harvest, whether he's working for profit or pleasure or pride. It doesn't matter the motivation. It doesn't matter how the farmer uses the money he earns from the harvest because the harvest most likely will come. But, For the Christ follower, motive in giving or any activity in the Christian life is vitally important. We must do everything motivated to glorify and to please our Heavenly Father. As I've said before, there in verse 7, that Greek word for cheerful is translated from, a Greek word means hilarious. It's translated to us, cheerful giver. The implication is that from a heart of gratitude and joy, We give of our finances to God. In World War II, most of you know that uh, the city of London and all of England was ravaged. That Germany was almost bombing daily uh, the city of London. And there are many orphans running the streets because their parents had been killed. And our American soldiers were there on one night. And uh, one evening they saw these two boys who were orphans standing in front of a lighted window of a bakery. And they were looking in and they were so hungry and they were forlorn and they saw the baker pulling out these freshly baked donuts and watched them glaze. Their mouths were almost drooling because they wanted them so bad and they were so hungry. These American soldiers observing this sight, went in and bought some donuts for themselves and bought a bag for those two little boys looking in the window and they gave them to those two little orphan boys. And as they turned to leave, One of the little boys turned to the soldiers and said, Are you God? Are you God? You know, we are most like God when we give. When we give, because God gave his very best for us. We see, thirdly, another principle, the principle of immediacy. Immediacy. We reap even while we are sowing. Look at verses 8 through 11 of 2 Corinthians 9. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Farmers, they have to wait for a harvest, but the Christ follower, who's a grace giver, begins to receive blessings from God immediately. The Moody Bible Commentary talks about this section of Scripture. It says, because giving Christians constantly receive divine resources, They're delivered from hoarding and are able to give more. Now we see in verse 9 that Paul quotes in Psalm 112 verse 9. That is why we know this verse is not speaking about prosperity gospel because it talks about not only some of the immediate benefits, but the future benefits that go on into eternity. And some of those benefits may not be realized until then or at a later time here while we're on earth. Rewards in the New Testament are future oriented. Think about the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Your heavenly rewards. See the benefits of grace giving here. We start to share God's abundant grace, verse 8. All grace, all sufficiency, all things, all times, every good work. That word sufficiency means that we will have adequate resources within, that we'll have contentment with what we have. God will not make every generous grace giver wealthy, but their needs will be supplied. Those who are grace givers are confident in God's endless supply, so they give. Christ followers who are grace givers will grow rich in their character morally and spiritually. Christ followers who are grace givers will share in grace and righteousness as it says in verse nine. They will not have any fear of God's provision if they're living right with God. They're fully dependent upon God because of his righteousness that was given to them. Paul said that in Philippians chapter three, verse nine. And be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God It depends on faith. So we live a righteous way. Righteousness means right living, living the way God wants us to do. Christ followers understand that God owns it all, and they're merely the managers of his possessions, and they seek wisdom to know what to do with those resources that are given to them. And we see these things as instruments to do God's work. Psalm 24, 1, which is our overarching Theme for This verse is the theme for these three messages. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein. There's another psalm that says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And as one African-American preacher said, and the taters in them their hills as well. God owns it all. He owns it all. Note that as you read the scriptures, God has a special place in his heart for the poor, for the widow, for the orphans, The farmer always has to decide how much seed he will keep for food and how much to plant. If he has a lean harvest, he has less seed. The Christ followers who believe in grace giving never have to make that decision. There's always a supply coming from the heavenly father if you're living a responsible Christ-like life. And so as we sow, it tells us in verse 11, we're enriched as we enrich others. The purpose is to show God our thanks to him by our actions when we help other people as well. Here's our second application, how do we apply this to our lives. As we freely give of God's resources given to us, God will continue the flow of blessings to us. And guess what, God never runs out. He doesn't take from the deep savings that he has, no. His resources are constant and abounding and overflowing. Your giving encourages others to give and brings blessing on you and your family. Our last point today is this, your giving will meet the needs of others. Your giving will meet the needs of others. We see, first of all, your gift glorifies God. As we look at these last few verses of 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 12, for the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. We see two additional benefits of grace giving here. People's needs are met and thanksgiving is directed to God the Father. Folks, we've got to remind ourselves that we can never outgive God. We see that in our society. David Green, Hobby Lobby. We see that when Truett Cathy was alive and owned Chick-fil-A, and now his family owns it. We think of R. G. Letourneau. He was given 90% of his income to God, and God was still providing for him as he formed Laterno College. So we think of these great wealthy people, but it's true for us. As well, that we cannot outgive God. Verse 12 says, A ministry of service, like a priest offering up a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord, our offerings, our spiritual sacrifices lifted up to God. The Gentile believers could have made excuses for not giving to the needs of the Jerusalem church. They could have said, It's not my fault that they're in famine or they're poor. They could have said, well, there's a lot of other churches that are closer to them that could help give and take care of their need. Or they could have said, we believe in giving, but we need to take care of our needs first. I'm so thankful that a number of years ago, God blessed this church with a large amount of money. And one of the things as elders is that we don't think we should just sit on that money that God's given to us and a few years ago, when we had that large sum of money, some of you remember this, we voted at a business meeting to give our sister church, Bethany Baptist Church in Moline, $5,001 because we had to have a vote over $5,000 for the vote. We gave it to them to help them with some staffing needs and their shortfall. We also gave gift cards to the teachers at Pleasant View Elementary School. There's a large number of teachers over there. So when God gives to us and blesses us, we give as a church to others. When we start making excuses for not giving, we move quickly out of the sphere of grace giving. Grace never looks for a reason to give, just an opportunity. Our giving should provide for necessities, not luxuries. Now, I don't often throw out names, but there are two two preachers out there, Jesse Duplantis and Creflo Dollar, and I remember watching a video, it's still on YouTube, Jesse Duplantis told him one day, God told him that he needed to buy a $54 million airplane from the provision of people giving to that. That, my friends, is a luxury, right? Creflo Dollar did the same. We're to be wise stewards of who we give to and make sure their administrative fee, a mission organization or charitable organization, their administrative fee is low, so that the vast majority of the money goes to the true need. Also remember that you and I cannot give to every organization we want to, but we need to allow the Holy Spirit to direct us to give. I don't know about you, but every week, I could list off probably eight different organizations, wonderful organizations, that if I was a millionaire, I would love to give to, but you can't give to all. And we need to prayerfully consider who it is to give to. Paul was anticipating a time when the Jewish believers of Jerusalem would glorify God because of the contribution of Gentile believers in verse 10 of chapter 9. The Gentile obedience flowed out from the gospel that they confessed. The Gentile generosity to the Jewish believers and to all in need. And the anticipation became a reality when Paul later arrived in Jerusalem and gave the Jewish believers the Gentile gifts in Acts chapter 17. There's a story of a pastor sharing this illustration about a very wealthy man, and he would always have devotions with his kids every morning. And one of the things that they would do would close their time in prayer, and the dad would say and pray for the missionaries that God would provide the money to take care of them. And after he finished that prayer one day, his son said, Dad, if you give me the checkbook, I can take care of that need right now. Indeed, that lad was very wise. For you and I, we may be the answer to our own prayers or the prayers of others by our giving. And lastly, your gift unites God's people. It brings God's people together. It unites them. Look at the last two verses of 2 Corinthians 9. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, speaking of the saints at the Jerusalem church, verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Three things bonded the Jewish and Gentile believers together through this offering. The offering was taken as an expression of love by the Gentile church for the Jewish believers. Second of all, the offering showed that the Gentile believers had been praying for them. And Jewish and Gentile believers were drawn closer to Christ because there were no distinctions in the church. All were equal. This of course was one of the major purposes that Paul had had on his heart when he challenged the Gentile churches to assist the Jewish believers. The extreme legalists in the church had accused Paul of being anti-Jewish and even anti-law The Gentile churches were removed from the mother church in Jerusalem both by distance and culture. And Paul wanted to prevent a division in the church and the relief offering was part of that prevention program. All these financial gifts were made possible because, as Paul said in verse 15, because God gave to them the gift of Jesus Christ. The inexpressible gift. That word inexpressible can be defined as unable to recount or express fully, to be indescribable. Notice he says thanks. That's the Greek word keros. It means to bestow favor or grace is the idea. And Christ is the gift that keeps giving and giving and giving, even at times in our own lives when we don't deserve it. I remind you of that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Story of a pastor going over when the Iron Curtain was up and East Germany was separated from West Germany and Eastern Europe was controlled by the communists. And there was a pastor and he said to a pastor who was behind, excuse me, the Iron Curtain, you know, tell me a little bit about what you guys pray for. And the pastor behind the Iron Curtain in East Germany said, we're praying for you in the United States because in some ways you have a more difficult time being spiritual Christians than we do. And when I asked him to explain, he smiled and said, you have relatively easy lives And comfort is an enemy of the spiritual life. In Eastern Europe, we know who our enemies are and we know who our friends are. Where you live, it's easy to be fooled. Yes, we are praying for you in America. So here's our application, our final application. We receive a blessing in our heart by being a blessing to someone else. You and I, we receive a blessing in our heart by being a blessing to everyone else. A key thought I leave you with today is this, a person's heart of generosity is revealed through a look at their checkbook register. We could tell a lot about your spiritual life if you open up your register of your checkbook or your electronic giving and see where that all goes and what your priorities are. So I suggest you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 again this week. I think you note the emphasis on the grace of God. If our churches and other ministries would get back to grace giving, there'd be fewer high-pressure offering appeals, fewer gimmicks to raise funds, fewer complaints from the people of God. Instead, there'd be plenty of money available for the ministries that truly magnify the grace of God. And I even think that the unsaved world would sit up and take notice. You and I are saved because God believed in grace giving. How much do you and I believe in grace-giving for ourselves? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this exposition of Scripture here in 2 Corinthians 9 and all that Paul laid out. Thank you for the principles that we can understand and apply to our lives as well. Lord, help us to be grace-giving Christians. Help us to be filled with with a heart of generosity. Help us to be cheerful givers, gladly to do it, because we just think of all the grace that you've poured out upon us, and you continue to day after day after day. So Lord, as we see needs or opportunities to give, help us to seek the Holy Spirit and wisdom on what to do and what our part may or may not be. Sometimes it's just a matter of us praying, other times it is a matter of giving, But we pray you give us us wisdom and discernment as we uh, face all these opportunities to be grace givers. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.